Hey, Pat, before we start, there is one thing I wanted to ask you. So in the States, we have these little birds. They've got like a wide bill. They quack. There's a bunch of them in ponds. What do you, what do you guys call those things? Um, ducks. Ducks. Okay. Do you own any ducks yourself? No, I don't own any ducks. Okay. I was just wondering. I just didn't know if there was like a word difference or something with them. <clears throat> what? <laughs> Welcome back to the latest episode of Across the Bifrost. My name is Sung Soo, and joining me in a moment is my dear co-host and lovable misfit Pat Dunford. And today, well, we're going to be covering the latest Atomic Mass Games transmission. We're going to be talking about our favorite winged cat superhero. But first, Pat, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, TT. I'm a little bit confused about why you're questioning me about um, ducks, but I'm sure it will become apparent. Right. That was that was edited out of the podcast, so no one has any idea what you're referring to. But that's totally fine. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, so yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, we've just had some big news um, at the time of recording. It's the day after a bombshell dropped on the MCP community with a surprise errata, including a couple of points that we're going to talk about in this episode. Right. Yeah, but first, of course, we have to do Sleeve It or Heave It. Pat is the champion of Sleeve It or Heave It. The people love it. The people want it. And today, we thought we would talk about lovable misfits. Oh, man, there's a slew of text on this card. Guardians of the Galaxy active. Any number of... Okay, it costs one per. Each Guardian can play it. You roll a bunch of dice and different things happen. Uh, What can happen? Well, you can gain some power. Um, You could do damage to enemy characters. You could advance short... Or you can stun yourself and other characters within two. You can also uh, make an attack sometimes. Yes. And, and that's that's it. Uh, you are <laughs> completing each character's role before you move to the next one. There's a ton of text. I really don't want to read it. Pat, what do you think of Lovable Misfits? Well, I'm a little bit confused. Just like your duck question, I'm confused why you picked this card and they didn't want to read it. I think that's on you, buddy. Uh, there's so many words. This actually violates my Magic the Gathering is this a good card thing? Because normally I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of cards. It's got to be good. I actually don't think Lovable Misfits is that good. Each character that played this card may roll one die. If they roll a crit or a wild, they may immediately make an attack with power cost zero or or gain two power. If they roll a hit, enemy characters within three of this character holding or contesting an objective token suffer one damage. If they roll a shield or a blank, they may immediately advance short. If they roll a skull or a failure, the character and all other characters within two gain the stun special condition. Complete each character's roll in order before choosing or moving to the next character. Yeah, so they have a two-eighths chance of, or a one-in-four chance of making an attack or gaining power. A one in four chance of damaging nearby enemies that are on near objectives, a three eighths chance of moving, and a one in eight chance of stunning themselves and other people. Um, I've played a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy, and I want to like this card, but my god, it's so unreliable, it's so inconsistent, and like the chance of getting the thing that you really need on this is really low. So you need to be in a position where you're happy with most of the outcomes. But that's challenging because the outcomes are so variable. It's difficult to be in a position where you are happy with most of the outcomes. Now, if you're within your attack range of an enemy and also within range three of them and they're near an objective, that gives you a half chance to do something damaging to them. If you're closer then you also can add the chance to stun them as being like a 5 eighths chance to do something to them. 
even then you've got a 3x chance of moving when you're in range to attack. Like, I've played this card and had it be alright, but I've never been thrilled with this, and it is so far away from cards that do one of these effects reliably, right? Cards like Wakanda Forever, Avengers Assemble, where you always get the attack or always get the move. It's just so much worse than those effects. Um, I do not. I'm In most of my Guardians rosters, even though I don't have restricted slots when I play Thados, I still heave this card. I also heave it. I have seen it been used wonderfully against me, and I have had it work wonderfully once. I I do think that there is some quote-unquote science behind the order in which you want to pick your models to do this. Um, I think you kind of maximize your odds, mitigate your risk there. Um, What's the science, in your opinion? Do you want any heuristics for it? I don't think, no. There's too many like board state-dependent things. I don't want to go go into it. Okay, so you're saying depending on the board state, you need to think about your chances of each effect and the order you're going to roll for, to try and do the most there. I think that is important and relevant, yes, don't you? I do. Um, it's just that the variation is so high that it's still a bit of a crapshoot. Oh, yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. But I still think you just want to like incrementally make it so you don't completely hork yourself uh, yeah like you don't want to stun your entire team before theoretically gaining a bunch of power if the stun roll didn't matter and it could have been your last roll yeah i think part of the problem with this card or part of the reason i'm not wild about this card is the two best guardians of the galaxy in my opinion are star lord and rocket they're the two that maybe not the best but they're the two that are in my rosters the most frequently and the thing about star lord and rocket is they want to be standing at max range firing their guns at people usually right and they have other plans when necessary but their number one game plan is get in range fire a lot and the problem with that plan is it means that most of the effects on lovable misfits are irrelevant when you're in that situation right you basically have the one in four chance of getting an extra attack and then for everything else you're out of range or you don't need to move and I think that is why I don't like Lovable Misfits, is because I'm always playing those two characters, and there's so many situations where most of the effects aren't useful for them. Now, I think the card is very interesting, and if you're a bigger fan than me of characters like Drax and Ronan, and you have more characters that get stuck in, then it's probably worth looking at again, when you can more reliably turn on more of the effects. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I have this, the same issues with... Uh, Star-Lord and Rocket. The other character I'm usually taking is Groot, and he ends up in this weird middle ground of like, are you just going to stun Rocket? I'm pretty sure you're just going to stun Rocket. Please don't stun Rocket. Yeah. And then he, Or you get the move, and you're like, well, I don't really want to move you right now. Uh, Do you want to move away from Rocket? I mean, he has the same problems as Rocket, right? Because he's kind of tethered to him. Yeah, but he has the negative of like, the best thing he gets is like two power out of it normally, which is fine, but I'm spending a power for a one quarter chance of gaining functionally one power, right? Yeah. But three quarters of the time, it just lost me a power. So doing this for like a power generation for him is like, meh. I do like it if you're running these weird, super brawly guardians team. And by weird, I just mean less commonly seen. Like if you're running Gamora... Nebula, Drax, Ronin, and you're all kind of piling into the center line and brawling, where just so many more of these things might be turned on. 
Sure, yeah. I still just think it's a very random card. So I think that is the best situation for it. And I've had games on Gamma. I do like Guardians on Gamma Wave. I've had games on Gamma Wave where it's like, well, I've got four characters in range of an enemy and I just need to do a little bit of damage to that enemy. Let's roll some dice. I have to say, even then, the card has let me down quite frequently. But that's probably its best situation for doing something useful. Yeah. yeah. I do think it's the best Guardians of the Galaxy affiliated card. Yeah, I mean, what's it competing with? The crew of the Milano? That's it? Yeah, I'm also not that high on Crew of the Milano. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm heaving both the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy cards, sadly. I-, I think I'm heaving it for anything that resembles, like, I want to actually win the game. But if you just want to have a good time, go ahead, sleeve it up. Why not? It, it is very fun and silly. I do enjoy a lot playing it and saying, ho, 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 let's see what will happen. But then my enthusiasm usually starts to run dry as the card resolves. Yeah, I find myself getting bored personally halfway through resolving the card, and I don't want to finish it, but you have to. So those yep. are the rules. <laughs> All right, so some pretty major updates in a transmission from Atomic Mass Games um, last week, this week, depending on your time travel. Uh, the big one is the changes to Malekith. Um, there are two changes here. They look pretty innocuous at first, but we'll get into it. The first one is replace the power cost of ferocity with three. Okay, so it's got so it, it costs more. Yeah. It was previously yeah. two. This is obviously very important because Malekith generates two power turn. Yeah, so he's not ferocitying, ferocitying, ferocitying by himself without without some additional help on turn one. The other one, and this seems innocuous until you actually read what happens, right, is replace the text of Conqueror the Thames Realm Superpower with the following text. During the power phase, this character gains one additional power. Okay. So that was, in fact, the first sentence of Conquer the Ten Realms, but what they weren't super obvious in is you lose the whole second sentence, which was, additionally, characters cannot modify their dice when targeting this character with attacks, which was a huge defensive survivability thing for Malekith, and that is now gone. Hence us talking about Guardians of the Galaxy for a sleeve it or heave it. <laughs> we got there. We explained ourselves. Um, yeah, this is... Wow. This is two really hard-hitting uh, reductions in Malekith's power, right? Malekith was running rampant, and with both of these changes, my hot take is he has really knocked down several pegs um, and should no longer be resting on top of the rest of the meta. I think that's an accurate assessment, and and I, I guess let's go over it before, right? Pat's Guardians roster, a lot of people's Guardians rosters were phenomenal at big game hunting because you're taking all these weak attacks, uh, by weak attacks, I mean roughly five dice attacks, and Mm -hmm. when you spike one, you're doubling down, re-rolling your couple misses, and you're sneaking a bunch of damage through. And so Guardians were great at hunting, I mean, Guardians were as good as anyone at hunting Thanos. Who was the other big game? Hulk, thank you very much. Hulk was the other one. And then all of a sudden, Malekith comes along and says, no, 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 Guardians, you don't work against me. So, like, the one affiliation that was superb at kind of big game hunting went away. Not went away, mm-hmm. but, like, you can't deal with Malekith. But they definitely kind of come back in the fold now. So I, I expect the Guardians resurgence, because, A, they're a lot of fun. B, I know they're a fan favorite. And they're really, really good. And yet, Malekith isn't nearly as scary anymore. It's, no you know what, TT? on round one and the, the rerolls. Yeah. So you're right. Before we talk about how Malekith himself is obviously worse, it's not just Guardians, right? I think your point about Guardians is perfect, but I want to emphasize Guardians are definitely not the only affiliation that was good at big game hunting. And um, Shadowlands Daredevil 
in Criminal Syndicate, right, is another one who's fantastic. And he had a whole team of rapid fire characters enabled with his reroll leadership. And this also failed against Malekith. Um, to a lesser extent, Wakanda, right? Wakanda were incredibly sad because their plan is make Killmonger really consistent or give Black Panther rerolls, and neither of those can work, right? Um, and then there's a few other things as well. So, for example, Convocation struggle because their big game hunting plan is to play Pains of Poldock and reroll all their attacks. And guess what? That didn't work. So all these affiliations that whose game plan into like size four or bigger stuff was just kill them. Well, they couldn't yeah. kill the biggest, baddest, sizeful thing. Yeah, and non-Cabal, or non-Malekith Cabal also relied on it, right? Same thing, we've got Killmonger, Dark Reign, Baron Zemo, right? There there are a bunch of affiliations, and great shout out there, Pat. I was just highlighting the Guardians because they were kind of the, the most prevalent, I guess. is That might not be the right word. Just one of the popular ones. Yeah, and I mean, this massively changes the meta as a result, right? Because... What we were seeing was a meta that was totally shaped by this specific ability on Malekith, pushing out all of these teams and therefore warping the meta to be things that are good against Malekith. And those things don't have to worry about all these teams that keep you honest by shooting you. Yeah, so I, I don't think there's anything else we need to talk about for Conquer the Ten Realms. Do you, Pat? Um, well, we could... I think, but let's just talk about maybe how this affects Malekith on the table in general, because I think that will end up we'll end up circling back to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's worth highlighting ferocity again. It's not a huge deal, but it basically turns off the turn one charge unassisted, right? I think that is a pretty huge deal, honestly. Oh, um, oh as, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a lot of text, but it's a big deal because like I've been playing a lot of Cabal Malekith, right? And in Cabal Malekith, I don't have a plan, at least not right now, to give Malekith any extra power. My number one plan is to pull somebody in with deception. If anyone steps out of line, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter where they are, Mystique deceives them, and then Malekith charges them and double attacks them. And that means he probably kills them, right? And that plan now for that team is off the table. And there were plenty of other situations where... It you didn't need to have any plan to deliver Malekith. You didn't even need a deception or a teleport or a tactics card or anything. You could just have Malekith advance and then charge and just hope that one charge was enough. And maybe with priority, his next round, he finishes off the target. Like that was, There was often fair ways to play Malekith that were all pretty contingent on him charging on turn one. I'd say like 95% of games he was charging on turn one. You know, it was like it was very rare that he didn't need to do that. Yeah, sorry, I definitely misspoke there. I think I actually think this is the bigger change, but we can get into that a little bit later. I just don't think there's a ton to talk about it. Like, it's a big deal that you can't charge. You have to help them charge. Tons of characters, popularity is, well, not tons, that's improper, but uh, for a long time, if a character can charge or open up that additional threat. And I would argue that the games where Malekith isn't charging round one, it's definitely a large impact on your opponent as they kind of move in this centrifugal circle outside of Malekith to avoid like the charge double attack. You're right. The it That is maybe the biggest impact is it massively changes his threat projection on the first round, right? Which massively changes how free your opponent can be. Um, so that combined with his inability to um, hit more than once in any way, really, with any kind of support, and in a lot of games he won't be hitting at all on the first round, um, it gives you so much more breathing room to play against him, 
and so much more room to be aggressive on the map, aggressive scoring points, right? And even hunting other characters without having this looming threat of if you start to approach anywhere near Malekith, and by near, I mean outside of your deployment zone, then you run the risk of being mauled by the kitty. All right, so all those things said, what do we think of Malekith right now? Well, he's obviously a lot worse. So he's lost his threat projection on turn one. I think after turn one, the cost of ferocity is inconvenient, but not a big deal, right? When you assume that he's got extra power flying around. Um, I'm not really thinking of it as being a very significant impact after turn one, but for turn one, it's huge. And then, of course, he has to be a lot more wary of threats that previously he was pretty resistant to. And those are very specific things that are very game-dependent, right? The the ferocity change affects him and his plan, and it will come up basically every round one of every game you play with Malekith. But the Conqueror of the Ten Realms reroll resistance will matter a lot in some games and not at all in others. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are plenty of teams out there that don't reroll, right? Yes. Um, and... So, like, for example, like Avengers, right? There's very few Avengers that re-roll, and especially the, the Avengers that are currently being played tend to be focused on either Steve scoring points or Sam running around with, with a bunch of bodies. And in either way, they're not really a damage-focused team. They don't have a lot of re-roll characters, right? That effect isn't really going to bother Malekith at all. If you wanted Malekith into Avengers, and I don't know if you did, but if you did, you're probably not too sad about that particular change. And I already mentioned a bunch of affiliations who are now rubbing their hands together in anticipation of battling Malekith. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, just just as a tangent there, that's one of the implications that Malekith has had on the meta, right? Is you saw a lot more Ricochet Blast before Malekith was around. Like Ricochet Blast or Helios was a valid conversation that people were having, right? And there were arguments to take both. Malekith showed up in Ricochet Blast just went the way of the dinosaur, right? We just, we didn't see any more ricochet blast out there because you needed the laser to hunt them down. But now you, you could bring ricochet blast if that's the way you wanted to play. Yeah, absolutely. And another great example would be Brotherhood, right? We were talking pretty recently in our Brotherhood dojo, right? Um, that Magneto is out of favor because of Malekith. Um, and in particular, the fact that Magneto couldn't reroll his builder attack into Malekith. And now he can, you know? Now, Malek- now Malekith has to respect Magneto and the two of them can fight more like equals um, as similar threat level characters. Um, and that obviously changes the matchup a great deal. Yeah, so again, I, I really think the meta will kind of shift back into normal. I, I agree with your assessment. If Again, forgive me if I paraphrase you wrong. Ferocity is really annoying. And again, I know I misspoke earlier. It's a big deal on round one, which changes the whole mm-hmm. math of how quickly can I eliminate a target, right? Because you're way less likely to KO someone in round two if you're not double attacking them in round one. After that, though, I think Malekith offensively is going to play pretty similar with the yes. caveat of you can't YOLO him in as much. You do have to be careful of his positioning because there are just more things that scare him after that. Yes, I, I agree with that. Now, um, should we talk a little bit about what you can do as a Malekith player to try and mitigate these new downsides? Yeah, let's do it. So first, ferocity, right? If you do want to be ferocious on round one, we've got a few options to get extra power. I mentioned already you could do something like Mystique to pull people closer. I think that's still a very valid strategy. Um, 
but looking at ways to get that coveted third power in order to charge is a really big deal because that's very valuable, right? An extra seven dice while Pierce Malekith attack is a huge amount of value, right? We talk about tactics cards being worth an action. This is a situation where I would consider advanced R&D just to give Malekith a power so he could charge. What do you think about that? I'm not opposed. If Malekith is in your roster, I still think he's the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Opening him up on round one, I think, is important. Yeah. Now, obviously, that creates a different tension because um, in my Cabal Malekith roster, let me tell you, my team tactics cards are great. So giving up one of them for advanced R&D is definitely a blow, but I think it's worth consideration. I also think it's worth considering options like Wong when you have a big character who you need to keep relevant and alive, you need to remove conditions from, and where you have this really important extra piece of power to give him on turn one. Like Wong was already in the conversation for supporting big characters. And I think now you could argue that he supports Malekith better than he supports anybody else in the game. Wong's an interesting choice. My brain didn't immediately go there. I, I understand where you're going with it. I mean, what do you think about Red Skull again? We talked about Red Skull led Malekith a little bit way back when Malekith came out. Do, do we think that's worth exploring more? I know the teleport doesn't fix his power issue, but it does open up his threat projection again, right? Just to be clear, we're talking about Corset Red Skull, not the new Hydra Red Skull, right? Yes, I apologize. Yes. Yeah. I think you could do that. I think it's... I don't know if Red Skull is the teleporter you want, but he's the affiliated choice, right? The reason why I don't know if he's the one you want is he's a four cost, so he's quite a premium option. And also, I've really been enjoying running Red Skull Master of Hydra in my Malekith teams. I think that oh, okay, combination is really fun. And obviously, you can't take really both. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think, considering a teleporter is valid, and nothing wrong with Red Skull, considering he's affiliated. But I think you might you might want to compare him to Clear, who does the same, literally the same function for Threatless, albeit with, you know, she's not the same character, but that specific point she does cheaper. You've got Heimdall, but he can't do it on round one. And you've got Lockjaw, who does it better than anyone, but doesn't do much else. Do you think any of them are more compelling than Red Skull? Again, I was thinking Red Skull mainly for the, the leadership. Yeah. The affiliation. I also like Red Skull's leadership with Malekith. Like mm, yeah. in a perfect world, you can convince yourself that I'm going to place Malekith. Malekith's going to be able to blood boil someone that opens up the turn one ferocity or the round one ferocity. That's obviously off of deception or something, right? Where they've kind of overcommitted. That is um, a cool combo. Now you mention it. I mean, bear in mind you would get the power there with blood boil, regardless of Red Skull's leadership. But I think you've hit on yeah, something but- really important, which is. Maybe you just change your play pattern rather than try and fix this with characters. Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously the negative is this this involves two characters now going. So like, it's not as, you know, you always had like the end of round one looming Malekith activation and now it's that, but you have to do clear beforehand, right? I guess you could do clear first and just not care or red skull. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do them first? Forward more. Yeah, you're right. You don't have to wait for them to do it. Yeah, right, you can still go through it. Sorry, you've lost me. Who are you waiting to do what? In my head, I want them to move Deception before I start doing any of my shenanigans. But okay, you're right, I don't so... have to. But by placing Malekith out there, it just gives them more information to avoid him. Yes, so you want to be in a situation where your opponent has a victim before you've activated Mystique for Deception or a Teleporter or Malekith. So before you, well, you've still got at least three actions left. 
Right. And I'm admitting that that's like not going to happen. Like that's Candyland, right? Yeah. I mean, that is something that Wong's got going from, right? The fact he can give Malekith that power before and he's not really, well, he's broadcast, he's telegraphing a similar thing, but honestly, all these characters existing are telegraphing that Malekith can do more. Yeah, so I mean, real question here, like, does Clear or Lockjaw do more or less throughout the actual game? Ooh, that's a question. So, Lockjaw is more resilient, right? He's got more hit points and defensive rerolls. He's got an interesting tactics card that I think you could consider, but I don't love. Um, He teleports much further, and he has useful utility options. Clear, he also, I mean, his power generation and her power generation are a bit apples to oranges. It's hard to compare. Like, Lockjaw generates power really well to begin with, but often later in the game, he might struggle to get his benefit from um, having an ally nearby. In comparison, Clear, uh, okay, she's losing some fragility. She is, however, getting a ranged attack and a ranged three throw. So she can act, she can influence things at range three really well, and she can independently generate power for herself to do that. So she does a bit more at a bit further range when she's not supporting. So I don't know. I feel like my answer is Lockjaw's better support, Clear is better utility. Lockjaw's also tougher. Clear does a little bit more damage, but maybe I'm, I don't know. What do you think? I've liked Clear more because she's a little more reactive. I, you know, Lock Darkness gets stuck in these weird things. I'm like, oh, you're just gonna move real slow over there, buddy. But you're the best boy. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the the media move on Clay has just been a little more flexible. But yeah, they've they've both been pretty underwhelming. After turn one, they, I view both of the characters like I do. Um, advanced R and D. It's like after turn one, I'm like, oh yeah, you're here. Go stand on that point for me. Yeah. I, is it worth mentioning that they both have some okay synergy, some like slightly above average synergies with Malekith's leadership in that Lockjaw <laughs> likes the extra move and it can position him to get power from allies and Clear often damages herself. So she's a good target to be healed. Is that is that a silver lining? Is that a glass half full kind of review? I don't know. You're, you're right. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we need to talk about that anymore. Do you? Like, are we good out there? Is that all of the teleporty Malekith support characters? I mean, do you want to consider a premium one like Medusa? Yeah, I mean, you're starting to go to, like create Rube Goldberg machines now, right? Because Medusa oh, yeah. and um, also uh, Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, right? Can move Malekith, but can't do it under their own steam on turn one. So now we're looking at extra level of can I do multiple things to support Malekith to really get him going? Like, can I advance R&D to two targets so that Medusa can royal decree him and he has a power to charge? And I mean, that's good if you can do it. Uh, The question, of course, is what is your squad that is enabling this and what are you giving up? Because at that point, you're dedicating your support character's power and activation to moving Malekith, and you're funneling another character's two power um, 
to in- enabling that play. And suddenly that's like two characters that aren't Malekith completely giving up their round one so that Malekith can go and murder someone. And th- after that, then who is, who's handling the objectives? Yeah. Now, those questions aren't entirely rhetorical, though. You can create teams where the answer is, oh, these two characters, this is fine. But you have to, it's like, you need to have quite specific, at that point, you're planning entire squads, right? Not just, like, two-piece synergies. Yeah, and that's what you should be doing, right? If 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 our goal is to play this large seven-threat character, we, we should have a plan on how to actually complete the entire crisis, so... And there is a balance of like how much do we need to support Malekith versus how much do we need to stay relevant everywhere else. And uh, yeah, and that Malekith, that, that Malekith, that balance for Malekith is interesting, right? Because once again, if you're using Malekith's leadership, getting a turn one days is really valuable. Getting an extra power and a short move is really, really good. And maybe it's worth giving up the power and some utility on a character to enable maybe the leadership refunds you what you're giving up a lot of the time right so like if i take vision and i use synthesis to generate power and i advanced r&d out so that everyone can enable malekith then maybe that's worth it because then malekith goes and kills someone and that puts me ahead in the game but also he can give vision the extra move and power that he'd missed out on by doing that play and you're kind of you know, you've recouped your resources and got ahead on attrition. So there is one teleporter we haven't talked about that I want to talk about, Pat. Ooh, who is it? Thanos. Ooh. Okay, I'm I'm listening. Like, what if, what if we just go like Twin Towers again, and we're just <laughs> like, yeah, there might be a crisis. We are un, un, un we are unaware of what this crisis is. We are going to just... <laughs> the crisis is irrelevant. Right. <laughs> we have two very large scary people, and our goal is to daze one of you on round one. And we have multiple ways to do it. So it's funny, right? Because if you want to talk about like two-piece combos to enable Malekith, you can create... You can make your own Thanos that like... Cosmic Portals Malekith, Space Gems Malekith, and Advances R&Ds Malekith to give him a power to charge. <laughs> if that's something you're into. Well, I'm thinking we literally take we, we take any character that generates an additional power. We're affiliate. What's an affiliation? Take any character that generates an additional power, they are going to advance R&D Malekith, right? We have Thanos, which whatever gem loadout you want. So Thanos can port you in. Thanos might be able to mind gem you closer. Malekith is going to be able to turn one ferocity. Like, can we just present this and see what happens? Yeah. So presumably, it's not literally any gem loadout, right? We can't be double restricted if we've also got advanced R&D. That's fair. Which is relevant because that's my favorite Thanos. Um, so we'd have to yeah. run, like, mind... And I mean, if we're ignoring the crisis, we don't even need our third character to have two power, right? Uh, oh, you're, they you're just right. need to, to exist to in the Thanos, game. But it literally doesn't matter. You're right. Yeah, Thanos doesn't really need an extra advanced R&D power. I mean, it depends a bit on his gem loadout and his plan, but he doesn't strictly need it. Thanos loves power, but okay. He does. Um, so, yeah. So if, you're, if you've got like an eight-point Thanos, a seven-threat Malekith, so at 17, you can throw in Bob or Bullseye and be Cabal-affiliated. At 18, you could throw in anyone you want and be Cabal or Black Order-affiliated. Even throw Winter Soldier in and pick at squad building which of those you're going to be. 
I don't hate Mind Space. I mean, Mind Space is good. I mean, at that point, you're basically playing Malekith instead of Corvus Proxima, right? And you're basically doing the same game plan of Mind Space Thanos enables a killing machine. And you're enabling Than- um, Malekith instead of Corvus, which is fine. Big caveat is we don't have Mothership. No, but we do have Dark Rain, And we do have a much broader uh, stable of affiliated characters when you go into higher threat levels. Yeah, yeah I'm just, just throwing it out there. Just... It's a thing. Like- I like it. I I think it's interesting. I think you could also go super tall, right? At high threats, you could throw in like Modok or Magneto. Red Skull Master of Hydra at 20. I don't think you could make a team with Magneto too. I think it's too much threat. <laughs> what? 7 plus 8 plus 6, 21. Yeah, not allowed. Well, maybe your opponent's bad at math. <laughs> Just sneak it in, yeah. That's true. I always forget we're gem restricted on Thanos now. We can't swap them around as we want. Yeah. And maybe you take just have like Mind Thanos or something, or just Space Thanos, but that seems like a, a stretch just to have the option to play Magneto at 20 for lols. I mean, I like Magneto. The other thing you can do is Magneto, Mystique, and Malekith, right? We can run that out there at 16. Um, play it as Cabal or Brotherhood? Which would you play Obviously, it as? Well, it depends on kind of the, the crisis, I think, right? Obviously, Brotherhood opens up the... Uh, chuck something to give Malekith the additional power. Yes. And if they've so, got a bunch of mm. short, delicious things, then maybe you end up going with uh, Malekith's leadership because, again, Magneto and Malekith are both more than capable of dazing multiple characters. I do like the idea of having these three characters and you can pick any one of them to be your leader. That's pretty cool. I mean, we could pick two of them and then you theoretically could pick Mystique. Any one of them could be your leader. Right, Pat. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I think actually, so this is a good point, right? Because we've just talked about stuff that you can take inside Cabal to enable Malekith. But of course, you can still splash Malekith in other affiliations. And Magneto leadership is a great example of how you can fix the turn one problem. And I mean, there's other leaderships, right? The classic one being Steve. Steve enables the turn one charge. You missed my segue here, though, right? Brotherhood of Mutants did get an expanded affiliation list here. They picked up Pyro, Sabretooth, the Apex Predator, and the Blob in the recent transmission as well. Yeah, which is a big deal, right? Those are three good characters that do powerful and interesting and unique things. So their roster is looking pretty diverse and pretty interesting. I think I think we both agree that Pyro is kind of the creme out of that particular lot there. But yeah, they're all good. It's I think yeah, they're I mean, all it's a, it's a good. Impressive. I agree that Pyro is my current favorite. He looks the best on paper, but... I've liked Sabretooth on the table quite a bit, although I don't think he's good in every situation. And I've liked Blob a lot. Like, the more I play him, the more I like him. I found Blob and Sabretooth to be very situational. They are still good characters. I mean, there's no Colossus in this group, is what I'll say. I think all of them are very playable, viable, defensible characters. I just think Pyro is very, very good. The Brotherhood stable now is so deep. Like, you could probably make a fantastic 10 that was entirely affiliated, right? Like, what have you got? You've got Magneto, Mystique, Toad, Juggernaut, Scarlet Rich, Rogue, New Sabretooth, Pyro, Blob. Yeah, it kind of falls apart. Now we need... Winter Soldier! Bucky Burns! Well, 
your options apart from Winter Soldier for the, and Taskmaster for that last slot are Gambit, Colossus, or Old Sabretooth, or Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Well, you, you Quicksilver's can't take Quicksilver's great. Quicksilver is great. Is that what we're yeah. I mean, if you just want the gimmick of playing all affiliated, I'd definitely put Quicksilver in. He's Bucky good. Barnes. Yeah, Bucky Barnes also great. Or, of course, just put an affiliated character, an unaffiliated character in. World's your oyster. Go nuts. Throw in whatever you like, including Malekith. Yeah, and I just I think I think it's a good home for him. So I did kind of jump us early. Do we want to talk about Malekith's homes and other affiliations, or do we want to jump to the new affiliation list? Sure, let's talk about new affiliations. I think the answer here is anything that Malekith can do to charge on turn one is a good home for him. There's probably other clever things you can do. I haven't thought of those yet. Um, do we need... To, I think maybe we should talk about TT. We need to make sure Malekith stays alive. Because previously, I could take a whole team of killing machines and maybe I would take Patch Up or Midnight Phantasmagoria, like one card to heal Malekith. And that was all I really needed for Malekith to be good in most games. But I think now, because Malekith is more vulnerable to a lot of dedicated assassins because of the change to Conquer of the Ten Realms, I think if you are playing in your roster, it's not just about enabling his charge, but you probably need to give more space to things that protect him. Like, for example, whenever I'm playing Hulk, I love to have things that protect Hulk. I don't want Hulk to get blown up. And now I feel the same way about Malekith. If you've got a big boy, it's worth investing some extra characters or cards um, in keeping him alive in the right circumstance. Do you agree? I do, and, and it's what I was kind of hinted at when I said we just can't YOLO him as much anymore. And I think comparing him to Hulk is a good one because one of the struggles I've had with Hulk is he runs away from his protection models so well. Like, mm -hmm. one of the good things about Hulk is he goes wherever he wants in the battlefield and starts throwing stuff and punching people in the face. And then normally, sweeping generalization, I've got some slow, stoic, tanky person who's, like, desperately running after Hulk trying to keep him nearby. Like and Captain America or Luke Cage or whatever. Exactly. And it's kind of a similar thing with Malekith, where Malekith is so fast and bouncing around the table and constantly trying to position himself to always get the best offensive attack, right? Whether that's a beam or just position for the throw or anything else. I think you have to be a little more conservative with Malekith now. And I do think that we want to bring something in that, that kind of helps him out on that size. I think Zemo is already kind of a staple with Malekith. I don't, mm -hmm. obviously it's not a huge help, but I mean, it's, it's a small piece in the defensive pool. And then I would personally be looking at a hero or possibly something like Venom or a Bodyguard or something like that that can tag around with them. Yeah, I agree. I've really liked Luke Cage with Heroes for Hire for Malekith. I was running it in some situations to protect specifically from characters with stagger attacks or from Helios Laser, and it's been really good. And now I would be taking it more frequently uh, as just kind of like a, a default option. Because when you have that range three um, defensive cards like the ones you named it's easier to keep that relevant while Malekith is bouncing around. Yeah, I mean, the Dark Council synergizes wonderfully with Luke, right? I mean, Luke loves the hit points. Luke loves the power. That short mm -hmm. move can help get him in range to taunt something else. It also gets him in range, like you said, for the heroes. The place in the heroes is super big because then he can taunt future attacks. So yeah, I mean, Luke is a phenomenal option. Yeah. yeah. I just don't know if you can afford kind of the four threat premium bodyguards because Malekith is so pricey. Yes, um, especially as unaffiliated splashes, right? There might be something to something like A-Force, 
where your leader is a bodyguard, your leadership gives you power, you can run something like a Koye. There might be an archetype there that's also interested in Malekith. Yeah. So I'm just running through that in my head. Is there affiliated models that you think kind of satisfy this niche? Well, the Cabal affiliated, excuse me. Oh, Cabal affiliated protection models. I mean, there's Scourge. Yep, that's what I thought of. <laughs> he does a bit of that. I don't think he, I mean, he he's not the best dedicated defender, right? He he's a three threat with a six dice attack, so he shouldn't also be the best at defending, but um he definitely does it a bit. There are I can't think of many Cabal models that are defensive in nature. Hood is the other one, right? I mean, oh, of course, wanna... the heel, yeah. Yeah, the heel is kind of the other one that comes to mind there. I, I'm a big fan of the heel. I've been running it anyway. I should add, in my recent games with Malekith Cabal, I've been I've really enjoyed running both Luke Cage and Hood because you get this double dip of keeping Malekith alive. Even if you can't fully protect him, you can keep him alive long enough to heal him. And Hood's heel is fantastic on Luke Cage as well. So I like that core team. And um, I think it's worth considering. Now, you mentioned it before. I want to just take a minute to talk about it. And then, unfortunately, I don't have much time left before we have to go off to cover the rest of this episode in ACS. Like, what do we think about last minute save? For Lockjaw? Yeah, so I, I guess I'll read the card because it's, it's been a long time. <clears throat> um, unaffiliated reactive. When another allied character within three of an allied Lockjaw would be KO'd by an enemy effect, Lockjaw may spend three power to play this card. Note, there's been an errata to this card to add the enemy effect clause. The allied character removes one damage, is not KO'd, and is placed within range one of Lockjaw. So obviously the big concern with this is Lockjaw is slow, and the character needs to be within three of Lockjaw when they'd be KO'd. Yeah. So when this works, it's really good. The challenge always is how how easy is it for your opponent to play around and is it worth it? Because keeping Lockjaw near those targets seems easy until your opponent makes it difficult, right? And if they have ways to like pull their targets forward or throw Lockjaw away or any of that stuff, then it quickly falls apart. So I think it's very dependent on what your opponent's team is. And I would probably be looking to take it when I expected my opponent to have a high damage team with very little control. So for example, like all rapid firing criminal syndicate characters, you know, <laughs> they're going to shoot me to death, but then probably not going to be able to move me at all. And so I can reliably have last minute save just hang over them. So the, 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 the caveat to that is right. Then they just blast Lockjaw, and once Lockjaw is either dazed or KO'd, obviously the card's not valid anymore, right? Because Lockjaw has to be awake, quote-unquote, to spend this card. Yeah, and that's definitely a problem, but I think the answer there is you hope to be in a situation where Lockjaw can be far enough back that it's not convenient for them to do that, and they have to give up a lot in terms of action economy and table space in order to make it work. Yeah, and that's right. And Lockjaw's not trivial to remove, but he's definitely, I mean, he's a three threat character, right? He's threes across the board, six five, and he has that uh, inhuman reroll tech on top. Yeah, which is actually pretty reasonably resilient for his threat, right? It's definitely above yeah, average for his threat level. For his threat, sure. But if, if my opponent's team is capable of gunning down Malekith, they should. Maybe this is one of those situations where they are capable of gunning down Malekith, but if Lockjaw's there, they're not capable of gunning down Malekith and Lockjaw having to deal with Lockjaw first while Malekith eats their faces. You know what I mean? Maybe that's just a high enough bar that they can't get over. 
Yeah, I think that's totally fair. So, unfortunately, we are going to have to end the episode now. Uh, my work is continuing to page me. Apparently, something broke. So, Pat, thanks for joining me and talking about this recent update. Uh, I do apologize. We'll try to blow it out into a bit of a longer after the credit scenes here for all you patrons. Patrons, thank you for your continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, you can find us on uh, patreon.com slash across the Bifrost. You can join us on Discord, across the Bifrost.com slash Discord. Let us know what we got right, what we got wrong, what else you'd like to see us talk about. Pat, this was enjoyable. Until next time, everyone, cheers and happy gaming.